Yesterday, while waiting for my dog Abby to finish playing in the backyard, I discovered a baby bird in the tall grass. I meant to cut the grass last week but assumed erroneously that I have plenty of time. It's been raining for days. The last time I discovered a baby bird in need of rescue was 1969. There were three of them, from a large oak tree in the front yard, their nest had fallen to the ground. It was someone else's oak tree, someone else's front yard, thereby someone else's nest. Nevertheless, after the party, I insisted on taking the nest with the three baby birds home. It was a lovely summer night. We had been eating homemade strawberry ice cream and the fireflies were keeping us entertained. What did I know back then? I was just a kid, with all the confidence and optimism of a kid. I believed if I brought the nest home with me, kept the baby birds nice and cool in my bedroom near my bed, fed them worms and gave them water through an eyedropper that they would survive and eventually grow big enough to fly away and have babies of their own. That didn't happen. After three days of nursing them, when I rushed home from school, I discovered they had died. I cried for a long time afterward. My mother and I buried them in the backyard. It is now 2019. As a mature grandmother, when I discovered the baby bird I experienced a momentary terror. After facing death in the past, I no longer felt as optimistic as I had when I was a child. Yet, I couldn't just give up without fighting to save the baby bird's life. I found a basket in the house, filled the basket with tissue paper and grass. After putting on dishwashing gloves I gently placed the baby bird on top of the grass clippings inside the basket. The rest of my time was spent trying to figure out where to hang the basket. According to the first website I found on the internet, baby birds have a special diet, they don't find their offspring by smell and the only way the baby will survive is if the mother finds it. I hung the basket near the bedroom window in the tall lilac tree close by. Then I remembered the other advice, keep the bird out of direct sunlight. It took me a long time to find just the right place to hang the basket. I chose the canopy of young lilacs where there would be plenty of shade. I went back outside and rehung the basket. Well, feeling a bit better, I went back inside my house and had dinner with my friend, and we watched a little television and he went home. Then just before bedtime, I heard the rain coming down hard, hard enough I could hear it hitting the ground like a million bullets. I rushed outside to rescue the baby bird holding my umbrella and ducking under the heavy lilac limbs which in seconds were saturated with water. At first, I thought the baby bird was dead. It looked so bedraggled. I started to cry as I carried the basket to the security of the porch where the roof protected the basket from the angry weather. With the light of a single bulb under the porch roof, I thought the bird was dead. It lay so still. But when I set the basket down on the table, I saw the bird move its head. It was just the tiniest of motions. I was so relieved, relieved I hadn't killed it with my stupid stunt. The basket idea had been stupid, so I found an old shoe box and gently set the tissues and grass clippings with a bird on top inside the shoe box. I thought about bringing the bird inside and remembered what had happened to the three birds I'd brought home so long ago. Would I just be prolonging the bird's suffering? If I left the shoe box on the table, the feral cats might find the bird and eat it. I couldn't stand the idea. I decided to set the box inside the patio shed. I left the top up and covered the shoe box with an old very thin kitchen towel I'd been thinking about throwing away. I thought the towel would keep the baby bird warm. It is spring, yet, the weather is colder than normal. I tried to sleep. It was difficult. I woke up several times in the night wondering if I should bring the bird inside. But would I just be postponing the inevitable and prolonging its suffering? 
After all I hadn't found nest anywhere in my lilac trees. The nest must have been in one of the huge trees which belonged to my neighbors. The wind must have blown the branch down and the bird miraculously survived the long drop to the ground. Or so I thought. Based on the bird's behavior, I figured it had just hatched recently. And I remembered the first receptacle I had put the bird in, a small clay pot. I set the pot on its side so the bird would have shade and watched as the bird scooted on its belly toward the opening. Its legs might have been broken in the fall. From my inexperienced eye, the bird appeared to have sustained serious injuries. My instinct had been to help. I had no idea how long the bird had been on the ground. Most of the limbs that had fallen in my yard, I had picked up and disposed of several days before. Believing the poor bird had been helpless on the ground for several nights, I rushed inside my house and searched the internet all the while worried one of the feral cats would find the bird. In my haste, I accepted the first result to appear on my screen and went looking for a basket. In retrospect, I blamed myself for not doing a more thorough internet search. I have two excuses for the decisions that followed. My past experience with birds and my more recent experience with death. Those experiences made me determined not to allow the bird to suffer any more than necessary. Suffering reminded me of my mother. Seven years ago, I moved my mother to Boise to live with me. Our weekly phone conversations had disturbed me. Having been an independent strong woman all her life, she was now forgetful and afraid. She claimed she was afraid because the doctors had told her she was dying. I didn't believe her. I was sure she just needed to get away from Vegas and find a good doctor in Boise. My mother has never been afraid, not really. When we were young, she beat a drunken burglar down the back stairs with a rolling pin. We could hear him tumbling down the stairs. We were so proud of mom. Once mom was settled in my home and we'd sold most of her furniture, we checked out several retirement homes. When I think back to that time, I realize we were living in a fantasy world of deluded optimism. Then I went with her to her new Boise doctor's office and her doctor suggested hospice care. Mom didn't want to go to a retirement home. I agreed to care for her. I had no idea what I had volunteered to do. I was still convinced she had been given bad advice in Vegas and would improve and be able to live many more years. I agreed to be her caregiver. She insisted on DNR, begging me not to send her to the hospital to die. When we drove out to her favorite place, Bully Creek Reservoir where she and her husband had spent so many wonderful days fishing and camping, I had no clue or didn't wish to know how truly ill she was. On the trip home her speech was slurred and she made no sense. I remember at one point laughing at something she was saying and asking jokingly if she'd been smoking pot. The next morning, I found her half in and half out of the binacoma. I can't remember how many days I spent hoping she'd wake up and look at me and smile. Those days were a nightmare of wishful thinking. It might have taken a week or longer, I don't remember. It felt like a year. I had three wonderful people to keep me company during the day. According to the hospice owners, there was nothing we could do but keep her comfortable and talk to her. During those days I nursed her and watched her. I'd had very little sleep. One night I went in just before going to bed and realized her condition had changed. She was no longer still but breathing harshly. I refused to accept what I heard. I'd read the literature the nurse gave me. I was supposed to be prepared. I wasn't prepared. It sounded as if she was in pain. Her ragged gasps continued. They were terrifying to hear. I remember touching her face and saying aloud, If there is a God, please don't let her suffer anymore. 
My mother has never been able to prove to me there is a God and I've never been able to prove to her there isn't a God. Yet, at that moment I really wanted to believe in a deity. I wanted to believe she would go up to heaven and God would take care of her. What happened soon after made me wonder if I'd been the one who was wrong all these years. Since then I have come to accept the possibility my mother heard my words and realized she didn't have to fight death any longer. I will never know if she was right and I was wrong until it's my time. What I do know is how powerful death can be for the witness. When I returned to her room 30 minutes later hoping she'd stopped gasping and had gone back to sleep, there was silence. When I finally accepted the fact that my mother was dead, I made this awful bleeding sound like an injured animal, a wail of pain and grief I swear the whole neighborhood must have heard. I believe a parent or a child's death is the most excruciating pain of all. Over the next few years as I grieved my comfort was the idea that she was no longer in pain. That is why seven years later, as I went outside the next morning and forced myself to open the porch shed door, I was hoping to find the bird alive with the intention of taking the bird to the vet and the vet would save it. It was a shock to see the tiny body so still. Its death reminded me once again of how little control I have over serious matters like life and death. Maybe that is why I write, as a way of controlling the narrative since I have no control over life's biggest events. I write to understand and write to change the narrative. Not always. Sometimes I feel compelled to write the truth, how the real world works, that not all heroes win and not all villains are caught and punished for their crimes. When I told my co-workers what had happened on my day off, I discovered I lived less than 15 minutes away from help and could have driven to the sanctuary and potentially saved the bird. This revelation was another reason to feel guilty. I've lived in Boise for nearly 30 years and had never heard of IdahoWildlifeRescue.org. Why had I not heard of this place? How ironic and typical of me. After I learned at work that I could have saved the baby bird by driving to the Animals in Distress Association, a wildlife rescue sanctuary which is open during the spring and summer months as late as 8 p.m., I felt so overwhelmingly guilty, I even called myself a baby bird murderess. It was so stressful knowing in hindsight that I could have driven straight to the sanctuary and the baby bird might have lived. I also felt guilty about my earlier draft justifying my reason not to do anything until the next morning. I thought I was sparing the poor bird additional suffering. How did I know what was really happening? I'm not a vet. I have no medical experience. I could at least have brought the bird inside and kept the basket in the spare bedroom with a light on to keep it warm. I didn't bring the bird in because a long time ago as a kid I decided death was better than prolonged suffering. But I'm not a kid anymore and I know there are some people who, even though they suffer, would, if given the choice, choose life. This stressful event might seem small to most people. But to me, my past experiences with wild creatures and my present ignorance had consequences for one little guy. I've always tried to follow my personal agenda, do no harm. In the past I've harmed people. Over the last 20 years I have tried to make amends. Now, I want to make amends to a tiny life which ended too soon. The next time a poor creature ends up on my property, whether falling from the sky or crawling under the fence, I will contact the Aida. I don't have much money, but I'm adding the Aida to my list of annual charities. This morning as I was editing this post, I walked outside with my little dog Abby and as I was searching the grass near where I had found the baby bird, I found another one, only this little guy must have died shortly after falling from my neighbor's tree. How could I have missed this one? Is my long grass to blame? Should I feel guilty about missing this one? No. I'm not going to go that far. I'm not a masochist. 
Sometimes mistakes happen. I overlooked this one because I was so anxious about the bird I found and didn't realize there might be another one. If only I had considered the possibility that where there was one, there might be another. Obviously, I can't control everything that happens in my backyard and have no right to feel guilty about this newly discovered baby bird. And it is conceded to imagine I have power over life and death anyway. As you have figured out by now, I feel guilty about the death of a newly hatched baby sparrow and my mother's final moments. I also worry if I am sharing too much, as the current culture refers to this form of communication, TMI. I overshare sometimes at work with co-workers I trust. I hate when I do it and each time I vow to stop. I probably won't. After all these years, I'm pretty sure this is my Achilles heel. Although, oversharing with trusted co-workers is different from oversharing on social media platforms. I've been struggling whether to post this essay on WordPress wondering if I'm making a huge mistake. And then I saw an interview on Democracy Now! between Amy Goodman, Juan Gonzalez, and Eve Ensler. Eve Ensler wrote The Vagina Monologues and her new book is The Apology. Critics claim women overshare too much and that is a mistake especially for a writer. After listening to Eve Ensler, I disagree with this assessment. As I listened to her answers posed by the program's hosts, I was immediately struck by her courage. She is courageous not just for sharing her pain, but for her desire to help others. Her openness is refreshing. I feel emboldened by her courage. If by sharing this story with you, I save a few wild creatures along the way, I would sleep so much better. Please don't make the same mistake I made. Don't instantly believe everything you read on the internet. Find the experts and ask them for help.